Jesus had this incredible ability to use parables or stories to make deep and lasting points. And in his parable of the vineyard, he reveals that the religious leaders knew who he was. They knew he was the Messiah. They knew he was the Son of God, and yet they would not believe in him. Knowing who Jesus is is important, but knowing who Jesus is doesn't mean you believe. You need to know who he is and then believe in him. That's today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Isaiah 5. This is called the Song of the Vineyard. Everybody agrees that this is about Israel, and it will say that clearly, Isaiah chapter 5. And this is the backdrop biblically of the parable and the story that Jesus tells was happening in his day. There were people who did this with land and then rented it out, kind of like you would rent out a home today. And you cared for it. Maybe you built it and refurbished it and rented it out. So, but this is the biblical backdrop, and I've given you the practical historical backdrop. Isaiah 5, verse 1. Let me sing now for my well-beloved a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill, Isaiah 5.2. He dug it all around, removed its stones, planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in the middle of it, hewed out a wine vat in it, so you can see all the elements of the story that Jesus shares. Then he expected it to produce good grapes, but it produced only worthless ones. We have in the immediate backdrop when Jesus curses the fig tree, remember that? And he expected to find fruit on it, and he, the, the fig tree withers, and everybody's amazed at it. Kind of a, a parallel uh, symbol. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, verse 3, judge between me and my vineyard, God is speaking. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why, when I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? So now let me tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, the wall's gonna be gone, and it will be consumed. I will break it, break down its wall. We all know that Isaiah's writing about 700 BC. We know that a lot of this happened when Nebuchadnezzar came in with his troops and destroyed Jerusalem, 586 BC. It will become trampled ground. He says, I will lay it waste, verse six, it will not be pruned or hoed, but briars and thorns will come up. I will also charge the clouds to rain no rain on it. You might want to write in your Bible there, Southern California. <laughs> For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. So there you go. The vineyard is Israel, the house of Israel. And the men of Judah, his delightful plant. Thus he looked for justice. Now we're going to get a little bit more practical detail, but behold, what did he find? Bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. Now, oftentimes as a Bible teacher, when I see things like this, I'm tempted to shift from Israel to our country. And I would imagine that anybody who lives in a contemporary nation wonders about these things. The U.S. is not Israel. We do not live under a theocracy, but we're a country founded on biblical principles and values. 
when God looks at us and analyzes the landscape, what do you think he sees? I don't have to tell you about the contemporary debates that are happening in our culture about what's right and wrong. That's a lot of what this message is about. What authority is ultimately going to determine morals for us? But let me make it more specific. What determines what's right and wrong for you? Who is your authority? What is your authority? You know, we Christians are famous for saying, oh, God's my authority. I live for the kingdom of God. The Bible's my authority until we are in a pinch. Until we are challenged with maybe commitments that we've made that are not now as easy as they once were. And now we have to ask some deeper questions about, do I really believe what I say I believe? Or do I give it lip service? And then God goes on. I want to pick out some portions. He's going to pronounce some woes. He says, woe to those who add house to house and join field to field until there is no more room. Skip down to verse 11. Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may pursue strong drink. Skip down to verse 12, part B. But they do not pay attention to the deeds of the Lord, nor do they consider the work of his hands. Um... Go to verse 18, chapter 5. Woe to those who drag iniquity with the cords of falsehood and sin as if with cart ropes. They drag it everywhere. The whole citizenry and leadership is full of lies. Verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes, clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes in drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink. Here's another woe, 23, who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away the rights of the ones who are in the right I hope I don't have to tell you how relevant that is today. I hope I don't have to tell you that I, teaching through the gospel of Mark and seeing a parable of a vine and the growers, have just taken you back to a verse that everybody would say is the foundation of this passage. But how fitting it is for this day. Amen? Amen. As we watch what's happening in our world, in our political world, in our church world, and we go, are you kidding me? Really? The people who are in the right are made to look wrong. The people who are wrong are made to look right. Hello? Back to Mark. One writer that I read this week said, the vineyard was a national symbol for Israel In fact, the very temple in which Jesus was standing sported a richly carved grapevine, 70 cubits high, sculpted around the door which led from the porch to the holy place. The branches, tendrils, and leaves were of finest gold. The bunches hanging upon them were costly jewels. Herod first placed it there, and rich and patriotic Jews from time to time would add to its embellishment. They would add to the the picture of the grapevine. One contributed a new grape, another a leaf, and still another a cluster of the same precious metals. The vine had an uncommon importance and a sacred meaning in the eyes of the Jews. Do you think that they were thinking, 
of this story from Isaiah 5? I think undoubtedly they were. And so Jesus is telling the story. He says this owner rented it out and he goes abroad. He leaves. And at the harvest time, back to Mark 12, verse 2, he, that is the owner, sent a slave or a servant to the vine growers, those who rented the property, in order to receive some of the produce of the vineyard. That is, the people would pay rent by the produce of the vineyard. So it was very simple in those days. You take a portion of what was grown and you give it to the owner and that was your rent. And it made life very simple. So the owner, it's harvest time, so he sends a servant, he wants them to collect and they, they took that servant, look at verse three, and they beat him and sent him empty, sent him away empty handed. So the servant comes on behalf of his master and what do they do? They beat him and they won't give him the rent. This is kind of an ancient Pacific Heights. Anybody ever seen the movie with Michael Keaton, Pacific Heights? Oh, it's one of those movies where you just want to choke Michael Keaton. Because he goes, and this, this young couple, they, they buy this property with all the best of intentions. And it's a, it's a dual-level property, and they want to rent out the downstairs. And him and this friend of his come in, and they tear apart the apartment, and they cause, finally, the anger of the owner to get him in trouble. And then he ends up in trouble. It's this terrible thing. Terrible. Well worth watching. Anyway, verse 4. <laughs> and again, the vineyard owner sent another slave or servant, and they wounded him in the head. My master uh, would like his grapes now for rent. Bam! They treated him shamefully. And again, New King James adds, again, he sent another. And that one they killed. I think I'd send the marshals to the door rather than sending any more servants. And so with many others beating some and killing others. Now remember, Jesus is telling the story of this vineyard. NIV, if you have it, it says, he sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. Here's the implication. He sent another one and yet another one, and they all came back either bruised, beaten, wounded, or dead. And do you see what's happening here? The picture is the vineyard is Israel. And God's been sending servant after servant to them. Who do you guys think the servants are? The prophets. And the prophets have come through the corridor of time. And the history of Israel was they pretty much rejected all of them. They would not listen to the prophets. And some they beat. And some they wounded and beat in the head. You know, there's a, speaking of Isaiah, there's a tradition mentioned in the book of Hebrews that Isaiah was sawn in two by the leadership of Israel. Others were beheaded. Others they, they simply just killed. Even in the New Testament, we've already seen James was killed, the brother of John, killed. For what? For being a representative of Jesus. We see that uh, actually in the book of Acts. And so this is a patient owner, don't you think? How many servants would you have sent? I mean, how many times would it have taken for your servant to come back with a black eye? They, they, they wouldn't give me the rent. Okay, another volunteer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> busy, uh, I'm doing the dishes. <laughs> how patient was the owner? You know, we, are, we look at stories like this and we go, wow, God is he's a God of justice and wrath. Oh, he is. But would you have sent the second servant? He did. 
He sent servant after servant, prophet after prophet, and they treated them outrageously, shamefully. So he had one more to send, a beloved son. He sent him last of all to them, saying, they will respect my son. Spurgeon shares these incredible words. He says of God, if you reject him, he answers you with tears. If you wound him, he bleeds out cleansing. If you kill him, he dies to redeem. If you bury him, he rises again to bring resurrection. Jesus is love made manifest. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish. They will have everlasting life. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. God the Father sent his son, knowing what their history was, knowing how we are. He still sent him, and he knew they were going to kill him. The whole story is rooted in God's love, incredible love. He didn't give up on us. He kept sending and sending, and now a son comes. But those vine growers, seven, said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. They say that uh, the contemporary situation is that if an owner sent a son the renters might assume that the father had died and the son had become the owner of the property. And here's what apparently could happen in these days and may have happened in Jesus' time. Hey folks, we'll be back to the teaching in about 30 seconds. I want to tell you about our brand new store at walkintruth.com. We have a lot of great products up there and we have a new product. It's called Dark Dangers of the Occult where we actually look at the subject of demon possession which comes up a lot in the Gospel of Mark. Go to walkintruth.com, purchase your copy today of Dark Dangers of the Occult, and when you do, you'll be partnering with us at Walk in Truth. Thank you so much, and now, back to the teaching. They say that uh, the contemporary situation is that if an owner sent a son, the renters might assume that the father had died and the son had become the owner of the property. And here's what apparently could happen in these days and may have happened in Jesus' time. The son would come, demand the rent. They, they the, the ones who were the renters, would kill the heir, and it would become an ownerless property. And now, since they were the renters and no one was there to claim the property because the owner was dead and so was his heir, guess what? They got the first shot at the property. This is what they were doing. Even in Jesus' day, corruption was running deep, just like it does today, where people will go into properties and they never have an intention to pay rent. They squat in that property and try to rip off the owner. God has a dim view of that. See, it was all about envy and about jealousy. And they took the son, look at verse 8, and they killed him and they threw him out of the vineyard. And in three days, brothers and sisters, they will do this to Jesus. They will take him, kill him. Outside the city, they're about to do this very thing to the son. You see, this story is very 
personal. And it shows you the deity of Jesus. He knows what they're going to do. And so he asks a question. He says, what will the owner of the vineyard do? If you're listening to this story, just back up for a second. You hear this story told, let's say in a modern way, what would you say? What should the owner do? Take him to court and sue him. Get a shotgun, man, some of you might say. I don't know how you would respond, but think about the story. They've killed multiple servants, beat others, and they just killed the owner's son. Brutally. How would you respond to the story? Would you be outraged? Would you say, hey, this is time for vengeance? What do you think should happen in a real life scenario? Can you predict what the owner should do or would do? Let me ask another question. What more can God do than he's done when he sends sends servant after servant after servant, then sends his son and they kill him? What more can God do? You know, people think God hasn't done enough. I don't know if I could just see something and happen in the sky or... Oh, God's done plenty in our history, folks. What more can he do? Should he keep these people unpunished? For the owner is not dead. He's surely alive. (laughs) Some of you know what I just did. (laughs) He's living on the inside. What? Roaring like a lion. God's not dead. He's surely alive. What should he do? Well, Jesus says he will come and destroy the vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. Luke has a parallel account when he says this. They respond. Remember, the religious leaders are listening to his story. He's telling them the parable along with the people. And they say, when he says he will will destroy the vine growers and give the vineyard to others, they say, may it never be. No, no. Because they have an idea where the story is going. The vineyard is Israel, but since Israel doesn't produce fruit, It's going to be given to the Gentiles. Unthinkable. No, don't give the vineyard to them. And Jesus says these words. Oh, I got to take you to one more. Go to Matthew 21. (laughs) One more. This just brings a little bit more paint to the canvas. I will tell you this too. We're about to take communion together. So uh, if you can prepare your heart for that. Matthew 21, look at verse 40. 39, you can see the story Jesus is told. They took him, 21, 39, threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? And they said to him, notice how they respond. He will bring those wretches to a wretched end and will rent out the vineyard to others, other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at the proper seasons. You ever heard a story and you get indignant about the story and then you realize you've done the same thing? Remember when Nathan comes to King David and tells him that story? And David is so upset, that man shall pay with his life. And then Nathan says, "Uh, you are that man. You see, they've gotten caught up in the story and they say, man, those wretches should pay the price. And Jesus said to them, did you never read in the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, this has become the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord. It is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and be given to a nation 
producing the fruit of it. Back to Mark and we'll finish. Jesus quotes this scripture we just read in Mark's account. Have you not even read this scripture? He's quoting from Psalm 118, the Hallel Psalm, very famous, read during the Feast of Israel, even the Passover specifically. Mark 12, 10. Have you never read this, this scripture? Speaking to the religious leaders, I think they knew the Bible. <laughs> But this is a slap in their face. The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. That's Psalm 118.22. This came about from the Lord. It is marvelous in our eyes. That's Psalm 118.23. He says, look, you guys, you're the builders. I am the chief cornerstone. The chief cornerstone is the principal stone for size and beauty. Literally the cornerstone. Everything must align to him or the structure will be off, or it will crumble. The cornerstone is the stone to which everything else is aligned. If you do not align your life to Jesus, everything else will be off, or everything else will crumble. Have you realized that? I keep learning it week in and week out. And he keeps trying to show me. Are you going to align your life to me or not? I'm the chief cornerstone. Will you steady the building of your life to me or not? What are you going to do? I've had a lot of moments like that during my life where the Lord's confronted me. In Luke's account, he says, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, Luke 20, verse 18, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. Jesus is saying, do you see your precious temple? If it does not align to me in my truth, it's going to crumble to the ground and crush you under its weight. And do you know that in about 40 years, that's exactly what happened. That temple structure fell to the ground and not one stone was left upon another. Wow. And so... The story has been told, and the final verse says, now, what, what do you think verse 12 should say? I mean, if everything's right in the world, and they all fell at Jesus' feet and said, I'm so sorry, Lord, I realize this story is about me. I'm a bad grape, or whatever they might say. Help me, Lord. But it says they were seeking to seize him, Yet they feared the multitude, for they were understood that he spoke the parable against them. And so they left him and went away. As we come to the end of this Sunday morning, that's really the choice that you have when you hear the gospel preached and the word of God spoken and it becomes very personal. It's pretty easy to be a spectator, huh? Like, I like to spectate. Then I can say, they should have done this over there. Why didn't they do that? My son has me on video after church one day. Confession. I'm a Steeler fan. I know that troubles some of you, but pray for me. It was after church, had the tie loosened. I'm sitting in the chair, and, I'm, and the Steelers made a very poor play. And I went, oh, come on! Something like that. And my son had me on video. Pastor Michael Lance, living truth, Christian fellowship. <laughs> Yep. You see, we all have our issues, but 
Here's the point. When the Lord speaks to us from his word, the question is always this. What are you going to do? How do you want to respond? Do you know Christ? Have you built your house on the solid rock or on sinking sand? Are you going to go with the winds of the world? Who knows what's true anymore? Who knows who should have authority? Who should really speak into somebody's life? Are you going to anchor your life and family and future on the word of God? That's the choice. So before we hand out these elements, I just want to say to you, if you're a Christian, then he invites you to this table to remember what he did for you, to proclaim his death until he comes, to commemorate, to celebrate, to look forward. But if you're not a Christian, would you bow your hearts with me? Bow your heads, Father. I just want to pray for those who are not believers. And I want to just speak to you for a second. If you don't know that you know Jesus Christ, if you don't know that rock is underneath you, get right right now. Something like this, no perfect prayer, but has to have this essence. And I would say to you, just pray it now. The devil will tell you tomorrow. The Bible, God says now. Something like this, Jesus, would you save me? I believe you came to this world, that you're God in human flesh, that you died on that cross for me, that you rose from the grave, prayed if it's you. I turn from my sin, and I turn to you. I want to be your servant. I want to do life your way. You might be rededicating your life right now. Maybe you need to get something right. Maybe you've been standing on the precipice of a poor decision. Don't go that way. No matter how attractive it looks, take your stand. He will not fail you. He will not forsake you. Father, help those who have opened their hearts, those believers that may be struggling, those who may be lacking some faith this morning, those who are going through a difficult time. May you anchor them, Lord. Steady them in the storm. And as we meet you and you meet us at your table, may we celebrate your finished work on the cross your glorious resurrection. And we, we do lift up our country to you. We lift up the church in the country. We pray over all that's happening, Lord, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. You know, as we think about this vineyard and growth and all of that, I want to remind you about our website. It's walkintruth.com. We have a store there with a lot of products. But one of the things that we've added to the website is a new video devotional called A Step Closer. And I was thinking about, you know, how do we get a step closer in our walk with Jesus Christ? Well, there's a lot of things that we can do. We can pray more. We can get into the Word of God, worship, fellowship, even stepping out in faith and sharing our faith. These are all ways that we get a step closer. Instead of taking a step back today, take a step closer. You're listening to this radio broadcast for a reason. And one thing that you could do is go to the website right now, walkintruth.com, and scroll down and play the video devotion a step closer. I know it'll bless you. It'll help you get a little bit closer. It's about a five-minute devotion. Go there today, walkintruth.com. God bless you. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message in its entirety, or if you'd like to visit our church here in Corona, California, visit our website, walkintruth.com.